Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Lord, thank you for your goodness, Father. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Pour out for us, Father. I pray, Lord, that we always realize that grace, Lord, in our own lives, Father, but also towards the people around us, Lord. Towards the world out there, Lord. We do not preach a message, Father, of, of behavior modification, Lord. Change what you do. No, we say change who you are following, who you are believing in, who you are trusting in, our faith in God. And you come, Lord, and you give grace, Father. So that we can be who we are called to be, Father. Like Paul said, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God towards me. And I can pray, Lord, in you that we might realize the grace of God towards us, Lord, that we might labor with you, Father, not receive the grace of God in vain, but that we might become, Lord, what you've called us to be. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us, teaching us in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool guys, so we're busy with our relationship series. Today we're going to end off with the sermon part of it. We're going to be looking at part three. And next week we'll end off with the series as a whole with Renier, the survivor pointer guy. I know you all saw the memes. He'll be here and he'll point out a couple of couples for us so that they can tell us not who must go but why they stayed and uh, the work that God did. In his life. So there are going to be three couples the morning service. There's going to be three couples in the evening service. And I'd really encourage you guys to invite people along. I know it's crazy with even a bit of a sickness going around, people isolating and all of that. So also just thank you guys for being faithful and coming out. Interesting times, but invite the people that can come. And if they really want to join in, speak to your small group leader or something, we'll arrange the Zoom link for them if they really want to also join in and look at that. Because I've heard a lot of testimonies, you know, about people just sharing about the power of someone's testimony, how it can change someone's life, just listening to someone speak, listening to the work that God did in their lives, listening to the lessons that God has taught them in life. So really valuable to so join us for that. But tonight we're going to continue with part three of our relationship series, simple but selfish, you know, built on the premise that relationships don't fail because it's complex. It's not because we don't understand the idea of it. It's because we are selfish. That's the reason why relationships fail. You know, we said that selfishness is the antithesis of a Christian relationship. Christian relationship is built on this idea of a man and a wife coming together, laying themselves down sacrificially and unselfishly for one another and serving one another. Anti-selfish, unselfish, selfless, coming to lay your life down to serve and to love someone. That is what we are doing. You know, when we say that, we're also not saying that some people don't have the wrong idea or completely no idea when it comes to relationships. Or that we are saying if we want to turn to Scripture and really see the truth of how God intended relationships to be, it's simple for us to understand, but it's difficult to apply many times because our selfishness gets in the way. We looked at intentionality, session one, just to recap for you guys. We need to be intentional in pursuing the relationships around us. Whenever we are not intentional in our relationship with someone, selfishness manifests because something else or someone else has taken priority. I'd rather be intentional in an, another avenue in life rather than towards my spouse. We spoke about grace. 
how in need of grace we are. You know, just this idea of two people corrupted by sin, not perfect, coming into a relationship with one another. By definition, we are in need of grace and forgiveness constantly. We will fall short regularly. And how important it is for us to give that grace. And also important for us to remember that the moment we fail to give grace or the moment we fail to extend forgiveness is because we think we are something that we are not. We think that we can be perfect, so I expect the other person to also be perfect and that's why there's a lack of grace and forgiveness. But the moment I realize that I'm unperfect, I know that I need grace and therefore I give grace. And also when we address one another's flaws and shortcomings, I don't automatically defend myself, but my thoughts go, yeah, that... That, that's right. According to scripture, I'm 10 to 1 wrong here. And it changes the story a little bit. And today we're going to look at consideration. Om in acht te neem om te oorweeg. There needs to be an intentionality in our consideration of one another. This is another way where selfishness manifests. Whenever I'm not considering the people around me, it's because of my own selfishness. You know, we saw in part one, and we gave the definition of selfishness, and it's the following. Lacking consideration for others, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit and pleasure. Whenever I lack consideration for other people, I am by definition selfish. That is the definition of selfishness, a lack of consideration for others. And whenever that happens, we hear the following phrases as we speak to one another. You might have heard this, hopefully not too many times, but you've heard it, you've thought it, you've said it to someone, hey, in this last couple of weeks or months or whatever has been going on or the decisions that you've made or how you've acted lately, I don't feel that you considered me. You didn't consider me, you weren't thinking about me, you were thinking about yourself. We've thought that many times. And sometimes we become a little deceived and we think too much of ourselves sometimes. And I just realized that in this week again now. Two people can feel the same way about the exact same thing. And it's funny, a couple of weeks ago, we have curtains in our living room. That's not weird, I'm, I'm assuming everybody has them. But we like have 37 or something. Young that fool us of our bias. Not really that much, but it feels like that sometimes. You know, when it gets a little bit humid, the wooden poles, they swell up a little bit and it's difficult for the rings to slide across them smoothly. And it irritates me. And whenever I get home, you know, after a long night, also did what we men do, security check. We went into the field just to make sure there's nobody there. We drove around the block, you know, climb up on the roof. Ons doen my goed, Yeah, we do that. And whenever you see us and you think to yourself, yes, this guy mustn't be so passive. What we are doing at that moment is we are preserving our energy for if we need to defend you. <laughs> Just if you were wondering. That is what we are busy with. We are there to protect and we are serious about it. I don't want to exhaust my energy. Now you need protection. Now I'm tired. Because I love you. So just remember that. And I felt a little bit like that, exhausted from all the protection going on. <laughs> and I come into the living room, and here's the curtains. And I'm just like, man, if I don't close these curtains, nobody does. 
I'm I the only one that's closing these curtains? Man, they don't consider me. Especially in late nights, you know, like tonight, so whenever I go and see people at night, I'm coming home, everybody's sleeping, and now I have to close the curtains as well. <laughs> but now knowing how great the job I do with the whole protection thing, I'm just like, I'm going to leave them open. I don't care. If they come into the yard, they'll come into the house if they really want to. The curtains are not going to stop them. <laughs> huh? A little bit of protection, but not that much. They want to come in, they're going to come in. I'm going to leave these curtains now. I'm not going to do it anymore. In the week, after we've fed the babies, we've bathed them, put them in bed, my wife's in the living room. These curtains. She says, can someone just help me with these curtains? I feel like the last couple of months, if I don't do it, nobody does it. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Both of us feel exactly the same way about exactly the same thing. Now, I'm not going to tell you I think is deceived in this instance. <laughs> because I don't speak badly about my wife in public. Now, I'm just making <laughs> a joke. But many times feel that way. You haven't considered me. I'm full of my ears. And when it comes to relationships, we should have that consideration towards one another. However menial it might seem to do something for one another, that is what love does. And then interesting enough, when we see in the beginning, like we said, that intentionality that's there in the beginning, you know, love might seem to begin spontaneously. You fall in love, you don't do it intentionally. You fall, you're in love. The chemistry is there, the spark is there, and all of a sudden, here goes the thing. And then many times, at least in one of the parties, there will be a great amount of consideration. Sometimes to an extent where it's a bit unhealthy. Afrikaans, we have a term for it, meisnester. I don't know if there's a term in English for that. Mouse nests. <laughs> when they have their mouse nests. And then you tell people, hey, you are so in love with this girl or this boy, you can think of nothing else. Maris, you have a Yeah. And we see this, there's a constant consideration, and immediately for the singles, this gives us a bit of an idea as well. Whenever there's the intentional spark in chemistry, but yet there's still a lack of consideration, you feel like the other person is still primarily concerned with their own pleasure and profit, something's wrong. Not an ideal partner, I would say. But then again, if you also that person, you're not the ideal partner. Even in the beginning, if I'm primarily concerned with my own passion, pleasures, how I want things to happen and not, it's warning signs. Even in that initial phase, if I lack consideration for the person that I want to start a relationship with, there's a little bit of trouble. And the same is true for our relationship with God. We need to constantly consider Christ, His will, His purpose, and how He in, in, uh, expects us to live. We call it the fear of God, not fear like in a bad sense that I'm afraid of God. I'm also a little afraid of God, rightly so. But that feeling of I just don't want to disappoint God in any area of my life. In every thought, every decision, every action, I want to please God with everything in me. That is the consideration we have towards God. And when we speak about consideration today as well, it's not like it's also something that I'm contemplating, especially when it comes to God. Underlining the contemplation is an immense desire for obedience whenever I see the will of God for my life. I want to obey. That's the reason why I'm considering it. Same when it comes to a husband and a wife. I'm not just considering it for the sake of consideration. I actually want to be intentional 
about living this out. When I see I can do something, that my wife sees that I consider her, that I love her, that I serve her, I actually want to do that. And I want to make a statement from the beginning, like I said, it's the same with our relationship with God and as we go through this as well. Whenever you realize there's a lack of intentionality in your relationship with your spouse, and you want to turn that consideration towards your spouse, I firstly want you to turn that consideration towards God. Because it's out of our relationship with God that the rest flows. You see, here's the key thing, and I want to state this in the beginning, and we'll see that as we move through tonight. You cannot say you have a great relationship with God where you are constantly considering the purposes of Christ for your life, yet you do not consider your spouse. Why? Because he is the one that commands you to consider them. He's the one that commands you to serve them. I can't say I'm serving God and I'm really obeying Christ, yet I'm not serving my wife. It doesn't work that way. Because inevitably, I'm busy with disobedience towards God. So when we realize that tonight, we first turn towards Christ, then towards our spouse, because it flows out of that place. So we're going to read a passage of Scripture in Philippians, and we're going to again see this beautiful picture of Jesus setting an example and Paul telling the church to imitate that example. Like we saw in Ephesians 5 in part 1, that is what marriage resembles, the unity and the relationship of God and his church. Husbands taking that responsibility of Jesus and in this instant as well, we are called to lead in this example. We are called to set the example in every area. Same with this. And then Paul says to the church, follow the example, imitate Christ. So in this passage, the husband and the wife, it's expected to do the same thing. It's speaking about Christian relation in general, but we can apply the same truth to our romantic relationships. So let's read together. Philippians 2, from verse 1 to 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest or consider his own interest, but also consider the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. And interesting there, just to note that, when it says that God took on the form of a servant, how did that look? He was found in human form. Human form, that is the likeness of a servant. You know, science and ancient philosophers, they say that man is homo sapien, meaning wise man, a thinking man. You know, we produce stuff, and yes, we are the crowning glory of God's creation. But the more time goes on, the more philosophers tend to say that man is homo religiosus, meaning the religious man. We have an inherent desire to serve something. We want to worship something. And if not God, we will worship ourselves, and that will manifest in different ways, even in a God concept. Like Timothy Keller says, whenever you worship a God of your own creation, that's just an idealized version of yourself. But we will inherently worship something because man is the form of a servant. We want to serve something. And if not God, we will serve ourselves. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And what a privilege for us to confess and to bow the knee while God may still be found. The scripture says, seek him while he may still be found because there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Some of them will just be too late. But again, we see this beautiful example of husband and wife, church and Jesus. Jesus setting the example and us as husbands being called to imitate that example and the church being also called the wives. Imitate this example of Christ. So where does it start? Verse 1 and verse 5, we read the following. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. And verse 5, having this mind amongst yourself which is yours in Christ. You see that word if, it's a conditional statement that Scripture speaks of. Whenever there's an if, there's a condition. If you do this, then that. If you do this, then you will receive that. It's a conditional statement saying, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, and the moment Paul says that, and the moment he says this mindset is yours in Christ, he's excluding a group of people. He's speaking to a specific group of people. Yes, we assume that he's writing to the church, he's speaking to believers, but he just wants to make it clear here. But if you haven't experienced the encouragement in Christ, if you haven't experienced the comfort from love, that love is the Greek word agape, it's speaking about godly love. If you haven't experienced the love of God, the participation in the Spirit, fellowship, yes, with Father and with Son and Holy Spirit, but also with one another. You know that strange thing that you can go anywhere in the world, but when you enter a home of a Christian, you are also at home. It's my eyes here. I feel comfortable. And you go switch on the kettle and then you ask, hey, sorry, I don't know can I my coffee mark? But this is home. This is my family. There's a participation in the Spirit. There's affection and there's sympathy. Having this mind in yourself, which is yours in Christ, and if I'm not in Christ, I cannot have that mind. Excluding a group of people. Saying, if you don't belong to this group of people, if you haven't experienced this, then by definition you will not understand and you will not able to be what I'm going to call you to be in this section. You need to understand these things. Later in chapter 3, in a different context, speaking about righteousness, Paul writes in verse 7 and 8, it's not in the book, you can go and read it. And he says, for the sake of Christ, I count everything else as loss. For the sake of Christ, understanding the worth, realizing the grace. I count everything as loss. And then in verse 8, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and being found in him. I'm gonna, I understand something. I've experienced something. And if you don't understand that, then the rest doesn't make sense. And for us sitting here tonight, I'm going to ask us the question, have you experienced this? What do you know that 2,000 years ago there was a man and he died for the sins of the world? But have you experienced the encouragement that is in Christ? That by grace you can be what he has called you to be because by grace you are forgiven. And by mercy the wrath of God will pass over you. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced the comfort from love? A love that not only comforts us in passivity but sends us out in boldness. 
Like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ compels us. Therefore we go. Have you experienced that? Is that true of your life? Do you understand the participation in the Spirit? Is it family that you have around you here tonight? Because if not, turn to Christ so that you can experience that. You might say to yourself, no, I don't know if that is for me. I don't know if God wants to save me. But the fact that you are hearing these words tonight is the grace of God being extended towards you so that you can respond and be saved. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Simply just call upon his name. But again, it tells us where to start and for the singles as well. What's the best preparation for marriage? What is the place to start when looking for a spouse? Starts here. If this hasn't happened, you will struggle. If I do not learn submission and serving and choosing the will of someone else above my own, in relation to a perfect God, I will struggle in relation to a fallen spouse. It will be difficult. Here is where I learn to submit, to follow, and to serve. By taking up my cross, laying down my life, and following God with everything in me. That is where we start. And the moment I get married, and my wife or husband comes into the picture, that's not a different area of service. It's not a different area of obedience. It's the same. It's also what God expects from me. It's also where, how my marriage works. The definition thereof is also derived from God. Still in obedience to God. I'm still serving God. It just looks different than someone else is also involved. Yeah, and me and my wife, we were together from grade 10. We were together four years before we met God. He saved us on the exact same day, same night, sitting across the same room, praying the same prayer. God came and he saved us. For three years, there was a process of restoration before we got married. Men's healing taking place. Obviously, two broken people that do not know God. Not that great of a relationship. A lot of damage, a lot of hurt. A lot of stuff happening. You know, what to expect of unbelieving people. We do that. And then whenever we speak to people and we're explaining this process of reconciliation, of restoration, and specifically in the area of trust, Robin also says, and it sounds weird at the beginning, but... If you have a revelation of God and you understand who God is and you know that your partner as well, then it makes sense. And she says the following, my main trust in Vian comes from the fact that what he does for me, he doesn't do primarily because of me. And it doesn't sound you know, that romantic in the beginning. I trust him because he doesn't serve love and lays life down primarily for me. He does it for God. That is why I trust him most. Because there's one much more righteous, holy, omnipresent, he's everywhere, involved, yet loving and gracious and kind, much more than I am. And because I know that my husband knows him, it gives me great confidence knowing that he serves Christ primarily and Christ expects of him to serve, to love and to be faithful towards me. And again, it takes someone to have a revelation of who God is to say that, but also to know that the person that you're in relationship with also knows Christ. He has experienced the things that Paul is speaking of here. Doesn't just know them. And she understands the fact that I cannot be faithful towards God, but unfaithful towards my wife. Doesn't work that way. Simply cannot happen. 
I cannot consider the will and the purpose of God for my life, yet not consider my wife in all things. It doesn't work that way. It's where it starts. Beautiful picture to paint. And then if we start here, we learn the lesson. If I cannot serve and be faithful towards God, I will inevitably serve and be faithful towards myself. And that's where that shift needs to come. But as we experience these things in our lives, then the question is, for those of us who are in this category, what is it that God expects of us? What is it that he showed us in Christ? What is the example that we should imitate? And we read the following, Philippians 2 from verse 3 to 4. Do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself, more so your spouse. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And just to clarify that second word, nothing in the Greek and the base and the root of that word, nothing means nothing. Nothing. I don't know if you know yourself like I know myself, considering selfishness, that is quite a statement. Nothing. What even sometimes, Lord? What if I'm on a hunting trip? Can I do it then? I mean, she's at home. People around me, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit. But, contrast, in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Mutually exclusive. You cannot do stuff from selfish ambitions or conceit, but still regard others more significant than yourself. You have to choose one of those two options. It cannot happen. You know, with other words, what the writer is trying to say in relationship in relation to our relationships, constantly consider one another. That is the mind that you have to have among yourself. Constantly consider one another. And again, not just to consider for the sake of considering, but consider for the sake of obedience, to actually do what I know that I should do. And again, yeah, our relationship with God comes into play because how we relate to God will many times manifest in how we relate to one another. And living in the traditional culture that we live in, you know, for the traditional South African, how does relationship with God work? It takes intentionality again, not to do this. But, you know, when I consider the things of God, will be on date night. That is Sunday, translated into relationship with God. Sunday is date night. So Sunday I'll dress a certain way, I'll speak a certain way, I'll act a certain way, because for a moment I'm considering the things of God. Don't want to do it constantly. I mean, that's quite, kind of rough. But we'll do it once a week. That's about it. But then also, you know, like Valentine's Day, when we consider one another on Valentine's Day, if it's your birthday, if you remember the anniversary, that day as well, then we consider one another. Really intentional about it. What does my wife want, need? What does my husband want, need? Where are we going to go? I want to make something special. Living for these special days instead of giving to them a special relationship, special life to represent a special thing, the covenant of God and man the whole time. And again, turning back to our relationship with God, in Valentine's Day, that is Passover weekend. Yes? And they make this joke, the average South African, or traditional South African, being traditional Christian South African, goes to church four times a year. Three of those times is on Passover. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Why? Because it's 
Valentine's Day. It's a Christian Valentine's Day towards God. Uh, we really need to consider God now. We really need to be intentional now when something special going on. And then Christmas, birthday. And we sometimes consider Christ. I'm not speaking about us, not generalizing. I'm speaking about traditional Christians, the way we were many times brought up or the things that we've seen. That relationship isn't there and we carry that over into our relationship with our wives, with our husbands. Certain special days of consideration to one another, but mainly we're busy with our own thing. It shouldn't be that way. How should our relationship with God be? There should be a constant consideration underlined by a willingness to obey whenever I see the will and the purpose of God for my life. Whenever I read something in Scripture, that is how I approach Scripture. For those of you who are at Bible school as well, with a willingness to obey. But what I read, Lord, I want to do. What I see you command me, I want to do with everything in me. And I want to translate that to my relationship with my wife. And then verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And hopefully, when you are in Christ together, these interests align. Why? Because the interest of Christ is now my interest. What I live for is to glorify God. What I live for is to build his kingdom. Because the moment I said yes to Jesus, the moment he came and saved me, his priority became mine. His vision became mine. His heart became mine. And his mind should be mine as well. That is why late in this chapter, I don't know if you remember, Mile in the Shoes of Timothy, part two. Why Paul says he can send nobody like Timothy to the Philippians? Because everybody have their own interest in mind, not Timothy. He's focused on the things of Christ. That is why there's no one like him that can serve the people of God like him. And hopefully here's where our interests align as well. Yeah, there might be some differences here and there, but hopefully in Christ we know what he has called us to do, where we are going, what we are called to do as a couple, and they align. That is why scripture says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't date, don't marry a person that doesn't have faith in God. In verse 15, it actually says, you cannot have the same interest. What agreement can there be? What portion can there be? What fellowship has light with darkness, righteousness with unrighteousness? doesn't work and it paints the picture of cattle in a plow you know yoking together to pull the plow but the one is looking one way and the one's looking the other way it's unequally yoked and all that you can do is move in a circle until the yoke breaks and you are free that's why the song is there i want to break free that guy was unequally yoked <laughs> it's not nice anymore one two let me know okay let me not sing it yes growth maturity yes don't be unequally yoked. It doesn't work that way. He cannot have the interest of Christ. He doesn't understand. He's excluded from what Paul is writing here. And he cannot understand what Jesus came to, to do. And he can't even, you know, like my brother says. He says, the other day we were speaking of marriage prep and enrichment. And he says, why do unbelieving people even marry one another? We understand why we do it. We understand the purpose of it. We understand what it signifies, what it shows to what gives meaning to it? But why do unbelievers do it? They saw us do it. Want to do it as well. Looks fun. Until they there. <laughs> it's a bit difficult. And there's a lot that we can say about it. But the only question that we need to 
ask ourselves is, who are we really serving and who do we really love? Because if I'm really serving Christ and if I really love God, then the answer is simple. I obey his commands. That is Christian liberty. That is why it says, Christ has set you free for freedom. But you're like, hey, but there's a lot of rules and stuff still in the Bible. Yes, but I want to do that because of the love of Christ. I want to. It's freedom in serving God. It's not stuff that I don't want to do. It's a freedom in serving God. So if you really love God and if you really serve God, the answer is simple. I'm just simply not going to do that. I won't even pursue that. Don't care if God showed you a picture of the person that might come to Christ and might be saved. God is not going to speak contrary to his word. He's not going to say in his written word, don't do that, and then give you a secret vision to tell you to do that. It doesn't work that way. And then again, if you are not serving Christ, and you're not in love with God, then the answer is, again, simple. You will marry that person. You will pursue that relationship. Because out of selfishness, that is what you want. Because you haven't laid down your life, taken up your cross, following Christ. Again, the answer is simple. So that takes us to the last point. Simple but selfish. Point number three. Out of our relationship with God flows a constant consideration for our spouse. Or a heart of consideration for our spouse. And again, will we fail? Yes. Will we fall short? Yes. Will we forget to consider? Yes. But may we always be intentional in considering one another. But if we don't, may we be intentional in extending grace and forgiveness where it's needed. Because we receive that from God. We read in Ephesians 5.21 and it says, Be, and this is just before it speaks about marriage. Just before it gives the whole context here. And it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if the reverence for Christ is not there, then the submission will be difficult to action. It will be difficult for me because I haven't learned it in relation to a perfect Savior. It will be difficult in relation to a fallen spouse. And there again we see where it flows out of. I cannot say I consider the things of God, but I'm not considering my husband or my wife. And Mike Nuvotny, if I'm saying his surname correct, he says, summing up this relationship principle in Ephesians 5, you know, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, man laying down his life for his wife as Christ did for the church, loving her, wife submitting to her husband as the, Christ does to Je- as the church does to Jesus, showing love and respect. In simple terms, what it means is the husband and the wife both having an attitude of you first. You first. Now my husband, you first. I'm going to consider you and I'm going to put your interests first. And the wife's saying, no, you first. I'm going to put your interest first. I'm going to consider you constantly. That is what it means for us. And again, you know, sometimes it might seem easy. Like for example, on honeymoon, we speak a lot about the honeymoon phase and about the love dying out or the love disappearing. You know, my, my thinking, you know, that we were unselfish at a time, but somebody might have stolen it, stolen the love. It's grown cold. You know, someone accidentally switched off the heater. They didn't put the love next to the heater. Accidentally put it next to the fridge and stuff happens. We quickly went to Spark, came home, the love was stolen. It went away. 
But it's not how it works, you know. And many times we think we are some something or someone in a specific situation. And then when other stuff comes along, it actually reveals to us what we've been all along. And honeymoon's there and we think, wow, I'm a great husband. Look how happy my wife is. We're going to do great at this. And the wife's like, oh, I'm a great wife. My husband's happy. We're going to do great in this. But the reason is there's just very little opportunity for selfishness. You're on honeymoon. There's not a lot going on. There's not a lot of things happening. And there's not a lot of people around you. You don't necessarily always invite your friends or family along on honeymoon. I don't know if it's just me. Yes. But it's primarily just you. There's very little chance for selfishness to manifest. Yes, in little things, but not a lot. The moment you get home, work comes along. What's work? An opportunity for selfishness. An opportunity to consider something more than I do my wife. An opportunity to consider something more than I do my husband. The opportunity for selfishness has arrived. What are we going to choose? Then kids come along. Sure. What an opportunity for selfishness. Now there's more people that I can consider more than I do my wife or husband. And by the way, Scripture says we never put our children above our spouse. Never. They never come first. Your spouse always does. Now in the Bible does it tell us to submit to our children out of reverence for Christ. We are there, we love them, we discipline them, we bring them up in the fear of the Lord. But we set the example. The greatest thing that we can show them is that I love their mother more than I do them. I consider her more than I do them. And it sounds strange to some of us, but that is what we see from Scripture. It's not something that I thought out. But that is what we see. And now, not only do I have different people that I consider more than my wife, but also have more opportunity to do less than my wife. And now she must, you know, do all of this because I'm busy with all of that. And we justify ourselves in weird and wonderful ways. You know, my job's actually important and I do a lot. She doesn't actually do that a lot, so she must do that. You know, she must change the diapers. And we have a simple rule. God was speaking to you about that. I didn't get that bit of revelation yet. Clearly speaking to you about it. I smell a little bit less than my wife, so that is why I made that rule. But there's a lot of opportunity. Family comes to visit. What's happening? Opportunity for selfishness. Opportunity to consider other people more than I do my wife or my husband. And as we are speaking through this, hopefully you realize maybe some of the areas where you're a bit more selfish than you thought, but also the areas where you are more selfish than you thought. Because it gives us the opportunity to next time be intentional about choosing not to do that. If I see the family come, and we're going to look at that in a moment, and disorder takes place. There's some confusion and some disorder in the house. It's selfishness manifesting. We're going to get to that just now. But then I know that's why it's happening. Then I can know that in this area I must be very, very intentional in considering my wife above the rest of the people. I must be very intentional in serving my wife more than the rest. So these things happen, and the opportunities arise, and they present themselves. Small group. We're going to start leading a small group and all of a sudden there's a bit more pressure. And your wife or your husband say, I feel you came more for them than you do for me. You're always there for them, never there for me. I always feel that they can explain to you how they feel and you listen. But when I do that, it doesn't happen. 
But the more opportunities, the more stuff comes along, the opportunity for selfishness and a lack of consideration we will have for the people around us. And whenever this manifests, there will be disorder. Look at what James 3, verse 16 to 18 says. I'm going to leave us with this scripture. And in verse 15, it actually says, you know, where selfish ambitions and jealousy and all of that exists, that is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Very hard words that the scripture uses to explain it. But then it says in verse 16, for, we, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. In every place in your life. So whenever there's disorder in our relationship, whenever there's vile practices entering our relationship, why is that there? Because selfishness is manifesting. Jealousy is just a different word for selfishness. Something else have, somebody else has something and I actually wanted that. Or I, I didn't even want that, but I just don't want them to have it. Selfishness, manifesting. But then there's a different wisdom. Wisdom that is intentional, wisdom that has grace, a wisdom that considers. Why? Because it's derived from God in right relationship with God. I love what Afrikaans actually says. That the person that has this wisdom, they have it because they are living in a right relationship with God. They're obedient towards Christ. That is why this wisdom is theirs. And then it says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, lacking that selfishness. It's impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The definition of a house that is characterized by peace, the wisdom that is from above. There's no selfish ambitions, there's no jealousy, there's no conceit. But the wisdom from above is there. It's impartial, it's sincere, it's full of grace, open to reason, extending grace, and intentional about considering the people around them. And if you've listened to this and you thought to yourself, wow, this admin, relationship's difficult. And people who understood this were the disciples. Someone comes to them and the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, you know, Moses said we can divorce our wives if we give them a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said, yes, he did that because of your hardness of hearts, but God always intended for man and his wife to remain together because what God has joined together, let no man separate. What does the disciples respond? Then it's better not to marry. They understand this is difficult. And maybe you realize today it's difficult. Just why would I do this, you know? Always being intentional in pursuing this person. Always extending grace. Always extending forgiveness. Always considering. Always placing them first. Always serving. But then the question is, when it comes to the area of marriage, why would you marry someone that you want to do anything less than this for? Why would you want to marry someone that you want to do anything less than this for? I want to constantly consider you. I want to always serve you. I want to always place you first. And I want always for you to know that I love you, consider you, and I am serving you. Primarily because that is what God expects of me, but also because I love you and I want to do that for you. If we can go back to that three points and if we can stand and start to open these, it's a bit difficult when our hands are cold. I realized that this morning. So we can stand together and then we'll pray. And you can start to open your, your communion wafer if you haven't sat on it yet. And if you haven't used one of these before, they open in two phases. 
You don't eat the piece of bread with the paper. And what I want us to do as we use communion together tonight is to look at these three points. And when it comes to intentionality, when it comes to grace, and when it comes to this area of consideration, and when you realize that you lack any of these three, or maybe all three of them, and you use this communion, and you break this piece of bread, and you drink this juice, you know that the body of Christ was broken for you, and the blood of Christ flowed for you, so that in these areas also, you may experience grace and forgiveness. And that he can give you the grace to be what you are supposed to be. So if you realize that you're falling short in any one of these areas as we are using the communion together, won't you firstly just repent of that towards God? Say, Lord, I'm realizing that I'm sinning towards you primarily. Sorry for my lack of intentionality. Repent for my lack of grace. Repent for my lack of consideration. Because it also indicates my relation towards you. Intentionality towards God. The grace that I receive from God the consideration that I have for the purposes of Christ for my life. So let's eat the bread and drink the juice together. There we are in your own words. Why don't you just speak to God? going to give us another couple of minutes, just in your own words, just lift up your voice to God. Yes, Father, as people are lifting up their hearts to you, Father, and people are confessing, Lord, I just pray for that. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that last week as we looked at the throne of grace, Lord, we saw the inevitable outcome of approaching the throne of grace, of approaching the high priest that is Jesus Christ, Lord. And the inevitable outcome is grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love flowing from the throne of grace, Lord, undeservedly. And thank you, Lord, for each and every person that's drawing near right now, Lord, that you say, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. Also pray, Lord, for each and every one of us, Lord, when it comes to relationships, Lord, as if we are building this wall, Father, there's a couple of loose bricks, Lord, stuff we always fight over, Lord, stuff we many times get wrong. And it's as if the enemy just comes, Lord, and taps on that brick, until it falls out, Lord. And then we take the hammer and we break down the whole wall and feel like we have to start over again. But you are saying tonight, just pick up the brick and put it back in. You don't have to break everything down. Simply repent. Simply extend grace. Simply forgive and move on. And yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that as we consider these points on the board, Lord, we realize it's not difficult concepts to grasp, Lord. We don't fail at this because we don't understand it, Lord. We fail at this many times because we are simply selfish. And I pray, Lord, for our repentance tonight, Lord, and the conversations that we'll have afterwards, Lord, with our husbands, with our wives, Lord. 
I pray, Father, that pride will not get in the way, Lord. I pray that selfishness will not hinder something beautiful. And that is a relationship, Lord, manifesting the relationship between Jesus and his church. I pray, Lord, that we will shift aside selfishness. We will shift aside pride. And that we might have the grace with one another to receive that forgiveness, Lord. To go and say sorry, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for great intentionality, Father, regarding our relationships with one another, Lord, and also our relationship with you, Father. I pray for grace, for consideration, Lord, to flow out. Thank you for your healing, Lord, and restoration in Jesus' name. Amen.